You know, you, if, you, if you're going fishing for a certain fish, you get the right bait, okay? And listen, our times are changing. Our world's a little different now. And, and uh, I was telling Brother Healy tonight, people won't read a John R. Rice tract that's 25 pages. <laughs> you ever seen some of his tract? Anybody remember? He'd have these, I mean, his page after page after page. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's why our, our, our political debates last an hour, and they're, and, and they're like a reality TV show. Lincoln-Douglas debates added, lasted six to eight hours, and people would stay for, through the whole thing. And then sometimes they'd break for lunch and come back again, or break for supper and come back again. We don't do that anymore. We have the attention span of a gnat, and listen, we're not going to change it. We just have to adapt to it and uh, switch bait. Okay? So... Uh, I'm excited for these tracks coming. One of them I really liked. I said, boy, this is a great track. I looked on the back of it. It was written by Brother R.B. Roulette. I thought, oh, no wonder I like that track. <laughs> He's, he, uh, it was an excellent one. So I'm excited for that. We'll be loaded up with some new ones there. And uh, so be, uh, do be praying about those and our, our ability. The weather is going to be changing soon. We're going to be able to get out with those again. And, uh, you know, you can, I don't know if anybody pays bills by check or however, sends things in the mail anymore. You can slip tracks in there. I know somebody got envelopes printed with the Ten Commandments written on them for their own. So everything they mail out has the Ten Commandments written on them. I like that. I like that. You can get some printed black with people falling into hell if you want. I don't know. Whatever works. No. <laughs> My dad's friend had a wagon <laughs> and it was black and it had hell, hellfire and it had people falling into it. And it was, uh, it had verses all over this thing. And my mother thought it was kind of funny, actually. And she'd call him up. She'd say, hey, uh, Mick wants to know if he can uh, borrow the Hellfire wagon. And he didn't think it was very funny. But, uh, hey, listen, we need to get out the Word of God. That's what I guess what I'm trying to say. Anyway, so be praying about that, please. Preacher's meeting coming up next Monday and Tuesday. I'm just hopefully and praying that everybody can be out for that. Um, especially Monday night. If you're able Tuesday, it'll be a blessing to you. So we'll be ready for that. Be praying for them. All right. So here we are. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. I'm on now. And uh, Jacob has called in Joseph. Remember last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever that was, he called in Joseph to bless Ephraim and Manasseh. And after Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, had been blessed, and he went through that whole blessing process. He called in all of his other sons in Genesis chapter 49, and he began to give to them uh, their verbal part of their blessing as well. And if you remember, we talked about the two parts of the blessing. One of them would have been monetary, the other one would have been verbal, and it would have been prophetic. And I said then, we don't speak prophecy over anybody anymore in these type of blessings because of all of our, all of our prophecy, everything about us is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's no greater prophecy to be have fulfilled in us than that Jesus Christ dwells in us and that we are in Him. So this prophecy here, uh, Jacob, that he, he spoke over all of his sons, they, this blessing, it was truthful. It was a true blessing. And his pro, the, the prophetic aspect of this blessing was truthful. And the outlook of some of his sons' lives were not very good. Simeon? And, and Reuben and Simeon, no, their anger was awful. They were violent. And it never ceased to be with that tribe. 
And so what was prophesied over all of these tribes, it came to pass, and you can see it for yourself, and maybe you can go back this week and study and do a comparative study where all of the tribes, and you can get online and Google it if you need to, whatever it takes. Watch how the the prophecy that Jacob uh, prophesied in the blessing over the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, how they came to pass. And you can study that for yourself. But thankfully, the outlook of some of the other ones were pretty good. Pretty good outcome. And we're gleaning from some of them today, actually. I think especially of Judah. You can see this in chapter 49 and verses 8 through 12. If you just want to browse at that, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But uh, we see that, that prophecy over Judah. And we know that this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That, that, that Shiloh was prophesied, like I just said. Peace. Shiloh. Peace. And Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. And that Jesus was the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And we see this fulfilled, and even today, we're uh, obviously, we are blessed because of this. And so Jacob blesses all of his sons, and he commanded them what they were supposed to do with him when he dies. And we see this in verses uh, 28 all the way down to verse 20, uh, 32 of chapter 49. I backed up on you there, sorry, we're at 49. Verses 28 through 32, and, and Jacob essentially tells them, take me back to Canaan and bury me there, where my, where my father Abraham and where Sarah is buried, and my father Isaac and mother Rebecca are buried, and where Leah is buried. And I'm sure he had all hopes that Rebecca would have been buried there as well, but it didn't come, it didn't happen. And so at the end of his instructions, the Bible says that Jacob got up into his bed and he died. This is the end of Jacob. Jacob, as the Bible says, all the revelation that they had at the time, Jacob slept with his fathers. He went home to be with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We know this, Paul tells us this. In the Old Testament time, they went into, a, they went into uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the place which would be called hell. <laughs> Hell was of two compartments then. You had paradise within that place, and you had Sheol, you had Hades, and it was a, the, the, and everybody who dies outside of Christ is in hell today. They're in Sheol. They are not in the lake of fire yet. The Bible says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. So all of those that have died outside of Christ up until today, and, and on until the judgment seat of Christ, they are in hell today. They are awaiting their final judgment. They're in, in the jail cell. They don't have bond. They can't put up bond. They're not out on bail. They are there until judgment, until the sentencing is read, and the sentence is going to be right, and they're going to be taken from there, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, and they will be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's not where Jacob is tonight. Jacob is now in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have time to go back there, what happened at the cross, and, and, and Jesus taking paradise with him. We don't have time to do that tonight. But Jesus, but jo, Jacob tonight is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has died, and he is off the scene. And so now it's up to Joseph, the patriarch of the family, to see to it that his father's last will is accomplished. And so in verse 1 of chapter 50, The Bible says Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. 
And the Bible says that Jacob was embalmed in the Egyptian manner of embalming. And they mourned over him for 40 days, which was an Egyptian custom. And after they had mourned over him those 40 days, Joseph goes to Pharaoh and he asks him if he can take leave to go bury his father. He assures him, I'm coming back, but my father asked me to, be, to bury him back in our land, and I'd like to know if I could do that. And we see that in verses 4 through 5, and Pharaoh says, yes, that's fine, go ahead. If you're a student of the Bible, there's all the little things that pop out as you read the Scripture that's kind of interesting in these discourses between people. And if you notice in verses 4 and 5, Jake, uh, Joseph doesn't really see Pharaoh face to face. It says, And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, if I, ha- if I now have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh. I mean, you'd think Joseph could have walked right into Pharaoh and say, Hey, can I go? There's still a distinction between Joseph and the Pharaoh. Okay, there is still a, there is still a separation here. And Joseph went to Pharaoh through the house of Pharaoh, and that house of Pharaoh went up to Pharaoh who had access to him like that. And they went up to him and they asked, they gave him Joseph's petition. And uh, Pharaoh said, yes, that'll be fine. And so now it wasn't just Joseph going up to bury his father. We're going to see here in verse 7 of chapter 50 that there's going to be this massive funeral procession going up into Canaan. It's, it's, this is incredible how large this procession is. Look at verse 7 of chapter 50. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house. Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. So look at the list of people that go up: the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, the elders of the land, two different sets of of ruling elders, all of the house of Joseph, all of the house of his brothers and his father's house. All of, I mean, this is a massive uh, procession going up into Canaan, chariots and horsemen. The Bible says again, verse 9, it was a very great company. Can you imagine the thoughts of the people who lived between the borders of Egypt and up into Canaan where they buried him? Could you imagine the thoughts of the people watching this procession go by? Have you ever pulled off the road for a funeral procession? You ought to. You ought to. I think it was my, if I remember right, it was my uncle, one of my uncle's mother had passed away, and we we're headed to the funeral. And I was in the car with them, and there's a we're going through Republic, and there's a a, a a a work crew on the side of the road. And uh, what respect this crew had! They stopped and they stopped their work, and they took their hats off and they stood there while this procession went by. I'm glad that's still alive and somewhere. We ought to we ought to, we ought to be that way. That's respectful, and uh, it's a way you honor those people. But could you imagine the thoughts of seeing this processional? Some of you have watched the processions of, of presidents. Anybody remember Kennedy's procession? I don't. But anybody remember watching that? I remember Ronald Reagan's. Remember that one? Oh, my goodness. And, and, and there's others that have gone on that have had incredible 
incredible funeral processions. Important people. Very important people. And I wonder if the people in that land were going, who was this guy? Who? I mean, think of, I mean, you look at this, this guy, he, he couldn't have been Pharaoh, because there's no reason why the Pharaoh of Egypt would have been buried outside of Egypt. But this, whoever's coming up out of Egypt with this train of company behind him had to have been a very important person. Undoubtedly, he had to be worth loads of money, and he had to have known a lot of people. Those are some of the things that come to my mind if you see something like that going by. But it, really, this wasn't the case at all. <laughs> think about it. Jacob was a nobody in Egypt. Really, he was. Yeah, I know he was connected to Joseph, but he was there because of a famine. He would have died where he was. He was a nobody in Egypt. He didn't own any land in Egypt. He didn't hold any great possessions in Egypt. He wielded no power in Egypt. Actually, Jacob was just living in a borrowed land. So how can somebody who is a nobody get such a great funeral? I think you probably know the answer. Kind of just depends on who you know, right? Yeah. Jacob's great funeral procession, this great funeral that he had, was be because of Joseph. I don't know if you can see where this is going in the connection. But Jacob didn't have a position, but Joseph did. <laughs> Jacob didn't own any possessions, but Joseph did. Jacob wasn't connected to royalty, but Joseph was. His wife was the daughter of the Pharaoh. He had a great connection. Joseph or Jacob didn't have any authority in Egypt, but Joseph did. Listen, this king-sized burial wasn't because Jacob was related to any royalty. This king-sized burial was because Jacob was related to the one who was related to a king. And I don't know if you see this tonight in your own life. But I need to remind you tonight that we are nothing but by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you might have nothing in this life. You may have nothing on this world. When your procession goes by, there might be a car or two or three or four or five. But listen, if you are in Christ tonight, you have everything. Everything. Oh. Good night. I can't believe I'd have to pull that out of you. Do you believe it? Do you believe you have everything in Christ? Yeah. Only because Do you realize only because of Jesus Christ, we are counted children of God? We are the literal, think about this, literal children of God because of Jesus Christ. This isn't some make-believe. This isn't fairy tale. I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be doing something else. This is real. We are children of God because of Jesus Christ. Only because of Jesus Christ do we have any possession at all. Only because of Jesus Christ do we have any inheritance of all. And it is only because of Jesus Christ that do do we have any position at all within the family of God. Listen, saints, because of Jesus Christ, we are priests and kings unto God. You realize that? We have access to the King. We have access to God Himself at any time time of the day because of Jesus Christ. We're a royal priesthood and we have a permanent dwelling in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Hey friends, that's pretty good news. That is pretty good news and it's just, you know, like Jacob, if it wasn't for Jesus and we had 
not had the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would have died in a famine without any promises, without any possessions, without any posterity whatsoever. But Jesus came. Don't Listen, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that you are where you are only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jacob's funeral was, was a great funeral because of the position of his son. So Jacob is buried with Abraham, he's buried with Isaac, Sarah, Rebekah his mother, and Leah. So the funeral is over, and Joseph returns to Egypt. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all they that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. So they return into Egypt and his brothers are a little worried. They're a little worried. You ever acted real tough when your big brother was around? But when he wasn't around, it's like, oh great, they're back. Where did he go? Oh, yeah. Remember that cartoon? There's this old Warner Brothers cartoon of the dog or the cat that was real tough to the dog and on the other side of the fence and it's, it's acting real. I think it was a cat. Maybe it was another dog and, and they're running down the fence and he's, and all of a sudden it gets in. There's a big opening in the fence and the bulldog's just standing there looking at him. Yeah, not so tough anymore when the fence isn't between you. No, hey, hey, Jacob was a fence between Joseph and his brothers. And now they're worried. Now they're worried that Joseph is going to retaliate. That he's going to retaliate. Look at verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. So because their father is gone, the patriarch of the family is now Joseph. Remember, it was passed on to Joseph. His sons got the blessing. He was in in, in all... Since he was the patriarch now, he was in charge. He was the one who all parties, the, the one who all of the parties uh, respected, brother and Joseph, all of them, they all respected dad. And he's gone. And so they're worried. Why? It's open season now. <laughs> We're dead meat. Yeah. Kind of reminds me, we had a, we had a dog. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this is good. This is good. She's bored. she's nervous. I I I told uh, when Katie was in high school, she asked if she buy this dog, and I told her I don't know why. I just got wore down. It was like the continual drip on a rainy day. The Bible says, and it was just on and on and on and on and on. And finally, I'm like, and she said, "I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it." I'm like, "Fine." By the dog, and it was weighed about two pounds. It was a Maltese. It was a puppy. It was, I mean, it was like that big, and it didn't say much or do much, and just kind of ran around. And it was cute-ish, and um, and so she bought this dog, and and she got married, and her husband said, "Uh-uh, he's not. That thing's not coming home with us." I said, "Oh yes, it is," and he said, "No, it isn't." So I had to. Th- Okay, Katie, Lottie, Katie, Lottie, Lottie. All right, you get Katie, we get Lottie. 
We got okay. This works. <laughs> so, so the problem with Lottie was her barker. She barked. Anybody have Maltese? Oh yeah, I know you have Maltese. You know those little dogs? They bark. I, I, it, they, Maltese are like a nine-pound dog with a ninety-pound bark. They're annoying, and it's like at a pitch, like a knife in your ear. It's horrible, and it's constant. All day long. And then on top of that, she had this nervous lick. She had lick. <laughs> it was like, did you stop it? Uh, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and she, she had this, this, uh, this annoying bark, and she barked at everything. If somebody was walking by the house, she barked. If some noise happened, she barked. Obviously, if somebody came to the door, she barked. Everything made this dog bark. And it was incessant. It was incessant. It was so bad, I actually, at a friend of ours at church, I said, is there any, he's a vet, is there any way to remove her barker? And she, he looked at me kind of weird. And he's like, yes, but we don't do that. I'm like, oh. I mean, I would have paid for that. She was actually an okay dog without her voice. She was fine. It was just that bark was so annoying. And she was like that way, she was like that when Sherry was in the house. Barked at everything. No, listen, it got so bad, I bought her an anti-barking collar. It's an electric collar. I went to Walmart, and I I got this thing. I I still, it's still funny. The thing was almost as big as her, she was, that little box on her. I mean, it was like, and so I put it on her. We have company coming over. I'm like, this is great. I'm so excited. It's going to teach her not to bark. Little bitty shock when she barks, so she doesn't like it. Quits barking. And so it had just been on her. I I think, did did they ring the doorbell? Is that what it was? Our friends coming over. <laughs> they, they rang the doorbell, and uh, this is—I love this. And she was on the couch, and she barks. And so the thing goes, eh, and she barks again, and she goes, eh, and she's writhing on the couch, going, because the thing's shocking her. <laughs> it was, and I'm sitting there like, yes, and she's going, she's screaming like, get it off of her! and I had to run over and take it off of her, and I had to bring it back to Walmart because somebody didn't like. I'm telling you, it was the most satisfying thing in the world to watch. It was awesome. Yeah, I know, but you take Lottie for a week and you see how mean it is. <laughs> Joke. That was a joke. Oh my goodness. It was awful. But do you know what? When she wasn't in the house, that dog didn't bark once. She was her protector. She's And the dog knew. The moment she got out of the house, that dog would sit on the couch and look out the window and just wouldn't say a word. Somebody knocked at the door, she'd just sit there. If it was just me and her in the house, oh no, she didn't bark. She knew her life. She knew she was dead. And she, Sherry, was the fence between me and Lottie. Yeah. Yeah. This was Jacob. He was that fence in the eyes of of, of Joseph's brothers. He was the fence between them. And now technically, Joseph, again, he's the patriarch. And coupled with his power in Egypt, think about this now, there's nothing stopping him from getting back at his brother's. I think this is a good place to clear a spot and remind us about something. 
Do you know Jesus never retaliates? No, he never retaliates. Oh, you, no, 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 no. He, 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 he chastens us and he rebukes us and he corrects us and he disciplines us for, for the very sole purpose that we would get right with him and come back into a right relationship with him. But Jesus never retaliates against us. Don't ever think for a moment he does that. It's always out of love. The Bible says our sins are cast as far as the east as the west. He said that our sins and iniquities, what would God say? I will remember them no more. They're gone. He, he rebukes us so we repent and get right. So He can forgive us. So He can restore us. But never to retaliate. And so they send Joseph a letter. They're afraid of retaliation. And they send him this letter. And I, I, I have this somewhat of an idea that this might be a little bit made up by his brothers. I don't know. We don't want to make doctrine out of a silence, an area of silence. But it seems to me I could see them saying, Hey, um, I know you weren't there, but Dad told us to tell you, um, don't get back at us. <laughs> Dad told us, don't, don't retaliate. Look at verse 16 and 17. And they sent a message unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And look at this. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. He wept. Why did he weep? Well, he loved them. No, he, Joseph had already forgiven them. I don't know if it's a weeping out of, out of joy that maybe they're come to another place of their life of just owning up to their sin. I don't know if it's, it's a sadness because of it's like I've, we've already dealt with this. Do you not believe me? Do you not trust me? I don't know why it was, but he wept. And now the brothers are going to come in personally now and they're going to present himself as Joseph's servants. In verse 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. I didn't count up this time how many times now Joseph's dream has been fulfilled and his brothers have bowed down to him. This is at least, I believe, time three or four. <laughs> but you see what Joseph answers to them? Look at this. Look what he answers to them. This is astonishing to me. Verse 19, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of the God? Don't be afraid of me. I'm not God. Look at verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God met it unto good to bring it to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. So Joseph deals with their sin. Joseph reminds them that it was God's plan. Joseph reassures them that their sins brought about the salvation of many people. Think about this now. Not just the salvation of the Egyptians and of those living in Egypt, but every person that has ever come to salvation through Jesus Christ because the line of Abraham was preserved. No, we are here today, as I said earlier, because of the actions that God took back here in Genesis of bringing Joseph down into Egypt. We're here tonight because of that. Yeah. 
So Joseph reassures them. I'm not retaliating. I have forgiven you. And then Joseph gives them a promise in verses 21 and uh, verse 21. Now therefore fear ye not. Second time he said this. And then look what he says. He says, uh, I will nourish you and your little ones. I'll take care of you. And then in number two, he goes beyond his responsibility of the patriarch. Number one, that's just his responsibility, we could say, as the head of the family. Number two, he went beyond that responsibility of the patriarch, and the Bible says he comforted them and he spake kindly to them. He didn't have to do this part of it, but he loved them. He loved them. What a beautiful end to Genesis. But I kind of have to wonder how is it that Joseph was able to deal with his brothers in such a way? How does he do this? You could say, but yeah, well, yeah, he's second to Pharaoh. Dude's got a lot of money. God's got, the dude's got a lot of power. He's in charge. That'd be a good payback, right? You ever think of all the years that he missed? You ever think that he left his home never to see it again? The last time, the only time he saw his home since he was 17 was the time he went up to bury his father and he had to go back to Egypt. You think he really wanted to go back? Yeah. So how was it that Joseph was able to deal with his brothers like this? He had the authority. He had the opportunity. He had the ability to retaliate against his brothers. So why did he respond in such love and care? I think it comes to one word. Humility. When I began studying this passage in Genesis 50, I didn't think it was going to lead here. (laughs) This is where it led to. It's exactly what's going on here. Humility. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. He was rejected of his brothers. He was despised. He was set up to be killed, and it was and it was only because he it was only because he desired to do the will of his father. Joseph, I'm talking about. And the great attribute of the Lord Jesus Christ was his humility. It was never about his own will. It was only about the will of his father. And all because the Father had a great plan to save much people alive. So because of the great plan, you know what the Bible says about Jesus in Philippians 2.8? And being found in the fashion of man, well that's humility alone. God becoming man. Can I challenge you to think of something? Can I challenge you to think of the awfulness that God became man? Can I, think, can I challenge you to think of the awfulness that Jesus had to use a restroom like we do? No, that's awful. That God would come to that level. Think about that. The humility that He took upon Himself to save you. And being found in the fashion of a man, the Bible says He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. So you know, there's no really listen. There is there is no greater 
show of humility than the willing obedience of Jesus to the Father in His crucifixion on the cross. And like Jesus, Joseph was a life marked by humility. Humility. Is your life marked by humility? Do you have a spirit of humility? 1 Peter 5, 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. You know what that word grace is there? That's, that word means divine enablement. You have the enablement of God when you're humble. He comes to your assistance. James 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, uh, here it is, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here it is again. James said it. Peter said it. Let me give you some areas of humility. According to the word of God, number one, there's humility in our service to God. Humility in our service to God. Acts 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befall me, befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Paul said he served God with all humility. So there's humility in our service to God. There should be humility in our day-to-day walk before God. In James verse, uh, James chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. There's an act of humility as we walk before God. Number three, there's a humility before authority. Humility before authority. Again, I read it before, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Here it is. For God resists the proud. Give us grace unto the humble. Number four, there's humility in approaching God for salvation, isn't there? No, you just don't saunter into the presence of God like you've done Him a favor. Matthew 18.4 Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. I think humility is a mark of repentance. Or repentance is a product of humility, I should say, maybe. Sherry and I were just talking the other day. You, have, you know what? When, when you, quote, come to Christ, but you've never come to, the, you've never come to the realization of the humility that you are lost, that you are wicked, that you are undone, that you, you, I'm not talking about you have a, 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 a knowledge of, of all these sins, but you've come to a, a realization that you are not God and you can't help yourself. Listen, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ that way, you don't leave Him changed or unchanged. I'm sorry. You don't leave Him unchanged. When you come to the relationship knowing, listen, because you've come to Him knowing that something is wrong with you, and when you come knowing that something is wrong, it means you want something to be made right. And I'm telling you, we've had people come through this church and out of this church, and they've come here supposedly coming to Christ. They've never changed, and they've never been back. No, they didn't get anything. You know what the problem is? They probably didn't think there was a thing wrong with them. 
They were just adding Jesus to their life. And when life turned around to be a little bit better, they didn't need Him. Humility. Humility and repentance. Humility in approaching God for salvation. These are areas of humility. But what about some promises of humility? Some promises of humility. Well, we've read some of them. God elevates the humble. Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. God exalts us when we humble ourselves. It it makes no sense to this world. But I'm telling you, it works. God does it. So God elevates the humble. Number two, God gives grace to the humble. We looked at this already. James 4, 6, But but He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. He gives divine enablement unto the humble. So God gives grace to the humble. Number three, God doesn't forget the problems of the humble. You ever get in life, sometimes you think, does God even know what I'm going through? Isn't this incredibly applicable to the life of Joseph? <laughs> does God even know what I'm going through? And in Psalm 9, 12, we find out, yes, He does. When He maketh inquisition for blood, He remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Yeah. So tell me tonight, is your, is your life marked by Humility. Do we believe that we're too good, too important to bow our, our hearts and our wills and ourselves to obey God? Listen, at this time in world history, you weren't going to get much higher than Joseph except for Pharaoh. And he was humble. Yeah. Hold on. You ever think of that? Maybe that's why he was number two? under Pharaoh and not his brothers? No, the position didn't make him humble, but he got there because he was humble and God was able to use him. Sometimes I wonder if we just don't, doesn't quite click with us, that we just, we just never get where God has intended us to go because we just haven't humbled ourselves. The things that God could have attained and achieved through our life if we'd have just humbled ourselves. And allowed him to do it. Let me give you some signs of a lack of humility. I mean, listen, church, I know this is this is a tough subject. And as you know, you've heard this, you, you hear this a lot in your life of going to church, but it's true. When a preacher preaches something like this. I get it first. <laughs> yeah. Signs of a lack of humility. Here's some signs. Unforgiveness. You have any unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody? It's a sign of a lack of humility. Bitterness. Bitterness. <laughs> Bitterness towards people or bitterness towards God. It's a sign of a lack of humility. Joseph never had a hint of unforgiveness in his life. Neither did the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. He never had a hint of bitterness in his life. Why? He was humble. He was a humble man. Here's another lack, a sign of a lack of humility. The refusal to repent over known sin. 
a refusal to say, this is wrong. God, you're right, I'm wrong. It's a sign of a lack of humility. Never able to come to an altar can be a sign of a lack of humility. Never able to say the words, I, I, I was wrong. Ooh. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong, folks. Them, them, them's hard words. <laughs> yeah. But it's a sign of a lack of humility. An unsubmissive spirit. If anybody dare tells me to do anything, ooh, your insides boil. Doesn't matter who they are. I remember a kid growing up, you know, if well, if my parents had just asked nicely, I would do it. I'm thinking, man, I would have had my teeth knocked out. <laughs> oh, nice, not, ask nice, nothing. Yeah. No, that's a kind of an unsubmissive spirit, actually. Yeah. And it's a sign of a lack of humility, lack of a prayer life. I believe is a sign of a lack of humility. I've got this. I can do it. No, I, I mean, listen, I mean, we, we don't just stand up and say these things. I know. That's not your heart. I know that's not. But that's indicative of what is going on. And if we're not careful, it will take over our life. And, we'll, and, and if we're not careful, we come to a place of, of not being humble like the Lord Jesus Christ. Think how often Christ prayed and communed with His Father. Why? Because he was a humble servant, came to do his will. Listen, listen, church. Joseph's life was a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was marked by humility. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is alive in us, should not that mark our life as well? Say, well, what is, what, what is humility? Well, Here's, here's a couple simple ones. You before me. You before me. That's, that's, that's kind of a humble spirit. Yeah. I prefer your will above my will. That's kind of a humble spirit. I mean, some of you know people like this. They're just, they're just humble people. They don't need the recognition. They don't need to be noticed. They just do what, they're, they just do what they need to do. They have a humble spirit about them. I think this is an absolutely wonderful way that we leave the book of Genesis on the subject of humility. The great, great mark of the life of Joseph and Jesus. May God help us to make humility the identifying mark of our own life. You know what? If... if if nothing can be said about the members of Calvary Baptist Church in, in this town, I pray that we would endeavor to allow God to change us. That they would say, boy, those are, those are just easy people to get along with. Well, those are some, they may not use the word humble, but hopefully they would say, those are some humble people. Listen, folks, we're nothing without Christ. We're absolutely nothing. And let's not ever let Satan whisper into our mind that we, we are more than we are. We're nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ, but in Him we have everything. Humility. May God help us to be humble. Father, thank You for this word tonight.
It was a hard word, but it was a good word. And Lord, you know I needed this tonight. And I think we as a church, we all need this. We all need a reminder that our life should be marked by humility. And Father, I just pray you do a work in your people tonight. And that we would all take the time to ask you to help us. To have a humble spirit as we walk before you and as we walk before this world. Would you help us with that tonight, Father? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.